0: Good morning, Antioch and all of our friends and family that are joining us on this Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday to you. We're so glad that you're joining us this morning. We're gonna be walking through uh, several passages around uh, what Palm Sunday is, as well as uh, the character and the nature of Jesus. And um, man, today is a little bittersweet if I'm gonna be really honest with you, because today was actually the day that we were gonna be going to two services. So. Uh, a little a little, a little sad, just a little yep. disappointment if I'm yeah. going to be really, really honest. Uh, but this is the next best thing uh, next to gathering together with all of you, which we miss you terribly. Uh, to be here in your living room or family room uh, with you, sharing the scriptures. We are gonna be coming to the table together. So if you have your Bibles, grab your Bibles, grab a notepad and a pen. Jonathan and I are gonna be entering into a conversation together and uh, I'm gonna pray. So Father, thank you so much for being here and being present with us. Lord, your word says that we're two or three are gathered together in your name and we are gathered together in Christ's name today. All throughout the city, even potentially all across the globe, those that are watching this, Father, we are gathered together in your name. And we pray that the words of God would be illuminated to us, that the spirit of God would breathe afresh upon every single one of us. Father, I pray right now that wherever any of us are in our journey, that you would meet us there. Those of us who are feeling lonely or isolated in this season, Father, I pray that you would meet with us and that you would be Emmanuel, God with us, God who is near to us in Jesus and in his spirit. Father, I pray for those that are sick in their bodies, that they would experience even right now, God watching this video, they would experience the healing power of God made manifest right now, right now. And Father, I pray for those who are experiencing anxiety or fear that the peace of God would enter in and that the peace of God would transcend every thought and imagination of panic, of worry, of fear, or worst-case scenarios. And Father God, that your reality would be our reality, that your word would become our truth, and we would fixate our hearts on these things today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, here we are on Palm Sunday. <laughs> Jonathan, would you, could you talk with us a little bit about why Palm Sunday is a special Sunday in the Christian calendar. And uh, what's unique about Palm Sunday?
1: Yes, so Palm Sunday is historically the week before Easter, before Resurrection Sunday. And it ends the season of Lent and transitions into what is uh, the most important and climactic week of Jesus's life, his life and ministry, which of course we know uh, will move through Um, the crucifixion and then ultimately the resurrection. And so this uh, in the Bible this week is when we look at Jesus's entry into Jerusalem, where all of these events will take place. And it's called Palm Sunday because he was welcomed into the city with palm branches and with cloaks being uh, laid out on the ground before him as a sign of honor for him to enter into the city.
0: That's so good. Now, you know, in my church tradition growing up, which is predominantly in the Pentecostal charismatic waters of, of the larger ocean of Christianity, uh, Palm Sunday wasn't, wasn't a thing. It wasn't something that, uh, we really recognized. It wasn't, uh, I, I, have no recollection of kids coming down the aisle with palm branches. Um, so what, what was your experience like growing up? My experience was lots of palm branches growing up in Florida.
1: This was key. This, we had to do something with them. So let's (laughs) make something useful. So yeah, we did, we celebrated the day of Palm Sunday Uh, I don't remember celebrating many of the theological themes that are hidden in Palm Sunday and in the liturgy of Palm Sunday. So that has been new to me to come uh, into the understanding of the rival of powers and kingship Mm -hmm. and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But we did celebrate Palm Sunday with Palm branches. Well,
0: yeah. yeah. You know, um, we have made a, a little bit of a a switch or a change in direction in our church, probably dating back about four years ago. Mm. And part of that change is not so much things that we've taken away, but more so things that we've added to Mm -hmm. who we are. So one thing is very, very clear uh, as we move towards more of a convergent model is that we are a charismatic people. We Mm -hmm. believe in the very now reality, the dynamic presence and movement of the Holy Spirit and we will always be a charismatic people. Love the gifts, love love the power, dimension, and dynamic of who Holy Spirit is in our lives. Uh, number two, we are an evangelical people. We believe uh, in the inspired scriptures, we believe uh, in, in the salvific work of the cross, and we believe in proclaiming and pronouncing yes. that gospel. We've always been that. Uh, but something that we've added over the past several years now, four years exactly, is this liturgical, sacramental dimension of, of being the people of God mm-hmm. that connects us to uh, 2,000 years of church history, church mm-hmm. faith. And that also helps us realize that... Um, there is this kind of mysterious sacramental dimension to uh, who we are as a people of God, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, totally. Yeah, and so, um, and it is that liturgical sacramental dynamic that puts a little bit more emphasis on the events beginning in Palm Sunday, leading all the way up to Resurrection Sunday. You know, for us, it was very, it was all about resurrection. Right. I mean, it was, you know, we, in some ways, we kind of just blew by Good Friday. We didn't really have Good Friday services in the churches that I went to. Definitely didn't have Palm Sunday uh, recognitions. It was all about uh, resurrection. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I have found as particularly entering into Lent and then Palm Sunday, moving into Good Friday, is that it's made resurrection way more meaningful right. to me. Have you found that? I have found that. I think that the way I had intuited
1: Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and all of what surrounds the crucifixion is that basically it's just a means to an end to where mm. Christ can be resurrected. Mm-hmm. And of course we celebrate that Christ is risen and is resurrected now, but there was so much significance and much that happened and was revealed throughout the crucifixion and really this entire week. Yeah, and a lot of the, yeah, the all of the events sure. leading up to this, to the crucifixion and to resurrection Sunday. So it has been, been increasingly meaningful really every year. I mean, seeing new things, which is also really fascinating too, because now we come to the table weekly Mm -hmm. and so there is this touch point with the church universal when we come to the table and there are all of these angles and things Mm -hmm. that our mind is drawn to. And we remember, and, it, and it's more than just this cognitive remembering, but that we enter into when we come to the table yes. all 12 months of the year. Fantastic. And much of it stems from the way that we in, interpret events that happened this week. So. Yeah.
0: so good. Well, without further ado, let's jump in sure. to the scriptures here in Matthew chapter 21. This is Matthew's account of the triumphal entry of Jesus beginning at verse one. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, On the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. Verse four, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, and they asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So what, what is happening here? Um, in a lot of ways, this week, beginning with uh, Palm Sunday, is very much. A, it's a very emotional week. Mm-hmm. It's it's a, it's a roller coaster week. High highs and low lows. High highs beginning with Palm Sunday. Here's Jesus entering into Jerusalem for the very first time. The tone is exuberant, celebratory. Mm-hmm. Everyone's just excited. Some people don't even realize why they're yeah. excited. And uh, and then we hit the low low uh, moments of Good Friday. We hit the low moments of crucifixion. We hit the low moments of wondering in that in that season of uncertainty. What exactly is gonna to happen to mm-hmm. to Jesus and to our lives as a result. And then boom, high highs with the resurrection. And, um, but, but what's happening here in this moment?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, quite literally, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And it's interesting too, to keep in mind, most of his ministry happened outside of Jerusalem. So there are his disciples that are coming with him and certainly he had been to Jerusalem before, this is not his his first time, but there are even these who are, who are asking, who is this? Like, what is happening? Because we just know something is different about the city. There's disruption in some way. They don't even know if it's good or bad at this point. And so Jesus is entering into Jerusalem for what will be his final time. his final time. And of course he knows what awaits him, but most of the people that are with him, at least his disciples seem to think that he is the Messiah, but the picture that they have in mind of his Messiahship is that most likely he's going to enter and do something to take back the power from Rome and give it back to the Jewish people. Yeah. So that seems to be what at least those who are closest to Jesus are expecting. And as we find out Jesus' plans are quite different.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So a little backstory here. The context is that we've got Israel as this tiny little nation under Roman rule and oppression. And here, within their collective memory, they're thinking back... To David. They're thinking back to the, I mean, I, I think that they've got visions of slingshots and giant heads and chasing down armies. And I mean, seriously, they're thinking, okay, son of David, Messiah coming, we're oppressed again. Mm-hmm. I think they're thinking about, uh, Moses coming and delivering them out of Pharaoh's rule. I think they've got the exile on their mind yeah. and there's all of these promises about a promise, a, a promised land. There's all these promises about a long awaited, Messiah, and these are framing their expectation for who Jesus is supposed to be. You are supposed to be not who you are, but who we need you to be. Exactly. Right? Who we think that we need you to be. Exactly. Right? You're supposed to be uh, the vision of the Christ that we have, not necessarily who you are. Yeah. And it's almost like, how could they really have thought
1: otherwise? Yeah. Because these are the stories that have been passed down for generations to them. Yeah. And Matthew in his gospel seems to constantly be drawing on this continuity with all of the promises, with all the lineage. So it's almost like he's setting it up to go, guys, this is what you have thought, but this is not really who Jesus is coming to be. I mean, yes, in name, he is coming as Messiah. The problem is your framework for Messiah is
0: all wrong. You know, as you're sharing that, Jonathan, I'm thinking about, isn't this one of the reasons that the Pharisees missed him? Isn't this one of the reasons that they're constantly, uh, second guessing everything that he says. Mm -hmm. And I'm reminded of in John chapter eight, Jesus essentially is telling these guys that you have the scriptures. And these scriptures point to me, and here I am, I am the fulfillment of the scriptures right in front of you, Mm -hmm. and you can't even see me, because your view of who I'm supposed to be is so radically misaligned with who I actually am. And, and what does that look like for us? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one thing for us to cast stones at the Jewish people of that day. Right. It's one thing for us to say, oh, those Pharisees. But if we're really honest with ourselves, you know, that's us. Mm-hmm. We're always somewhere in the narrative. Um, we're, 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 we're Judas. We're the Pharisees. We're Pontius Pilate. We're the Jewish leaders. We're the people that miss him. Uh, we're the blind man who needs sight. So where do you see us in this story of, of not recognizing Jesus for who he really is? You know, Pastor, I think one way we might find ourselves
1: in this story is as those who are shouting Hosanna to the Son of David, ushering Jesus into the city with very specific expectations for what he's about to do. Certainly there are those who are, you know, out and not even, not part of the crowd. We might say those who are lost who are saying, well, who is this? Like, what's, what's this all about? But for those of us here in the church, I think we would find ourselves either there or maybe even among the disciples who are also going in with even more strong specific ideals of what Jesus is about mm. to do as he enters into the messiahship into the yeah. kingship role and so we might we might start by even just examining our own thoughts and expectations for when we think about Jesus, when we read about Jesus, who is it that we picture? And is it really in alignment with the Jesus of the gospel story?
0: Yeah. You know, uh, way back in the day, um, in our, in my old uh, missions days, uh, leading teams, we used to do this, this funny little skit. And uh, I, won't, I won't do it for you right now. Praise God. Um, of course, I might just, uh, on my own YouTube channel, do a little special skit for everybody here. Uh, but the theme of the skit was essentially you had someone playing the Jesus character and all these different people would come up to him and whatever role they were playing, whether it was they were an athlete or they were somebody who was vain or whatever, they would come to Jesus and they would kind of form him uh, in their image. And the whole point of that Little sketch that we would do, you know, in the streets of Germany or wherever Russia that we would be in is uh, we would we would finish that sketch and we would say people are always trying to make God into their own Mm -hmm. image. And I'm just reminded in this passage how here we are. We have this certain view and this is us today. Mm -hmm. We have this certain view, this certain image of who God is supposed to be. Right. And it's not always consistent or congruent with who God really is. You know, you're the God who is always supposed to come through this way. Uh, When you say that you're a healer, it's always supposed to look like this as I interpret it, as I define it, as I expect it. And this is clearly not how God always acts in the world. And since we're talking about power, um, let's just kind of hone in here and focus particularly on how, how God deals with power in the world. And you wanna, you wanna speak to that? Sure. I mean, I think
1: right off the bat, we just know that we're speaking about the same thing but we're speaking about two different things two different things that the power of god is foolishness to us and the wisdom of man the things that lead to the assumption of power yeah. are foolishness to god and i think it's because the mot- the motivations are so different that generally speaking mm. humans want power for prestige, for self-preservation, for self, Self-gain. you fill in the blank, right, yeah, self-anything. Sure. Yeah, And God is willing to give of himself for our benefit, even when we're killing him for it. Wow. And so the way that God's power is expressed is always for the benefit of his creatures, his creation for humanity. God is never acting in ways that are self-serving at our cost, at our expense. That's, that's not within God to be that way, to act that way. But when we hear power, I mean, we might at moments, we might sometimes use power in those kinds of ways. But by and large, the power that we see in the world is a self-serving kind of power.
0: Yeah. And Jesus speaks to this actually in Matthew chapter 20. So just verses prior to Matthew chapter 21, where he's entering into uh, Jerusalem. Uh, Matthew strategically locates this story here where yep. the mom of one of the disciples, two of the disciples, comes and she says, Jesus, can you put my sons at your right and your left, which are positions of power, their prestige, their privilege. And Jesus enter. he utilizes this opportunity to again address the way that it's in all of us, the way that we view prestige, position, and power. And he he, he ends this little passage here uh, with one of my favorite verses in the scriptures in verse 28, where he says, the son of man mm-hmm. has not come to be served. And if right. there was anyone, anyone who has ever walked on this planet, who is worthy of being served, yeah. it was Jesus. Right. And yet he says, I've come to show you a different way. I've come to show you that it's, uh, it's not the way of the kingdom to utilize power, to lord it over, right. to rule over, to coerce, to dominate, to manipulate. He says, the son of man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life or to lay his life down for many. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And that is consistent from the beginning of Christ's life all the way until literally his dying moments. Yeah.
0: From the way that he was born to the family that he was born into. They were poor family. Joseph and Mary were poor. Scripture is very clear about that. Um, To the way he's launched into his ministry, to the people that he gravitates to, uh, to the homes that we find him eating in. Mm Um, All throughout the Gospels, from his birth to his death, we see that Jesus comes gentle, he comes humble, he comes lowly. Uh, But not only in the Gospels do we see this reflection of Jesus's character, but um, in Paul's writings over and over and over again. And this might be a really good time to go to Philippians chapter two and talk about the character and the nature of Jesus. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Uh,
1: Philippians, you know, Paul, this is the, the letter where Paul is in prison and he's writing and he's exhorting those in the church in Philippi to as he says here and we'll just start reading in verse five and he's exhorting them and says in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So what is that? Who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And other um, interpretations would say, uh, or translations would say something to be grasped. Verse seven, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant
0: Such a good Christological
1: hymn. It is such a beautiful hymn that is summing up and describing what happened in the incarnation. And I think right off the bat, we have to remember that Jesus comes to reveal the Father. Yes. Jesus comes not as something different. But Jesus comes as the divine in flesh. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. If we dumped the divine attributes into a human vessel, it looks like Jesus every time. Wow. So what we read about Jesus here is not in any way inconsistent with who God the father has always been. And the character and the nature within the Trinity has always had these attributes. So when God puts on flesh and comes and dwells among us, it looks like humility. Mm. When God comes and lives among us, it looks like a servant. It looks like a slave. It's just who he is. That is who God is. That is not God jumping through some hoops in order to get to the cross so that he can die in this mechanism to forgive our sins. No, God forgives our sins because that is in his essence who he has always been. I love that. And I think that is, that sets the stage for
0: understanding the entirety of the life and the death of Christ. Powerful. So it's, so it's less of Jesus is condescending himself and lowering himself and, oh my God, I've got to, I've got to empty myself out and humble myself. It's less that. Yes. And it's more, no, this is who God is. Exactly. This is, this is consistent. With the character and the nature of who God is and who he's always been and who he'll always be. Exactly. Yeah. So I I might throw you a curveball here, but... I mean, like, this is consistent with who God is when he's going to return. It is. I mean, God's not an angry God. Nope. God's not this wrathful God. God's not this God that's trying to, you know, one-up everyone and, you know, fireballs coming out of his eyes and destroying everyone. I mean, the God that we serve as revealed in Jesus, if the scriptures are correct. Yes. Right? Philippians 2, Colossians wow. 3, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. When we see Jesus, we see who God is. Absolutely. And we see a God who is kind who is good, who is humble, who is gentle, and who always utilizes power Mm -hmm. for good.
1: Yes. I mean, if God is not consistent, then there's nothing that we can trust. Yeah. Then really this is humanism. If God is not consistent in his character, in his essence, and who he is perfectly revealed to be in Jesus Christ, Mm. then we can't trust him. If he's going to change at some point in the future, then how do we know that hasn't already happened? Yeah. Then how do we know that he wasn't different at some point in the past? So I would say absolutely. God is consistent in his character and his nature through and through and what we see of him. In the beginning of Jesus's life, all will be the same all the way through when he returns. And thank God for it. And thank God for (laughs) it. Not only has he not changed, but the nature of his kingdom has not changed. So good. And who we are called to be has not changed. God is not asking us to be humble and calling us to be meek and self-giving and pouring out of ourselves now. But then... There's going to come a moment in future right. when we're all going to pick yeah. up our swords when and kill our enemies. When we have the upper hand. And yeah, we, exactly. Yeah. That, that is inconsistent mm-hmm. with the nature of who God is. Yeah.
0: I know that was a little bit of a rabbit hole that we chased right a good, there. A little bit a of a tangent. Hole. But uh, you know right there, yeah, it does matter. I think it does. Uh, particularly now. Particularly now yes. in this in this era. Um, so in verse 6, uh, it says, "Who Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God. And here we just read something that he would take, you know, and use for his own advantage. But as you mentioned, there are other versions or translations that say um, something to be grasped. Yes, something to be grasped. Something to be grasped. And when when, when we use that word grasp, I just have in my memory, you know, the garden, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's the quintessential lie that the enemy pitches to every single one of us. Hey, whatever it is that you want, take a hold of it. Absolutely. Grasp it. What, what you think is best for you, seize it. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And even one of the other scholars I was reading said an, a way to translate this that's even possibly more powerful is in him there is no act of grasping. Mm. In other words, there's nothing in the essence of God that even needs to, or considers grasping. And, and think about it. If we truly serve a God who creates from nothing, yeah, then he doesn't need to hoard. He doesn't need to protect. He doesn't need to, yeah, to, to protect or to provide. He doesn't need to grasp to make those things happen yeah. for us. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned there, pastor, in the original garden, that that was what they were tempted to do is grasp what is there in front of you, Mm -hmm. and then you will know as God knows and you will be as God is. Right. And then funny enough, the garden story that we'll come to later in this week, we also see grasping again. We see the fruit of Judas grasping at money. Right. We see Peter grasping at control, control, at not wanting the Messiah to go down this way. Yeah. And what do we see from Jesus? We don't see grasping, we we don't see defending. Well, actually we do see him defending his disciples. He, and sure, he sure. actually says, yeah, let them. them go free. Sure. But with regards to his own self, we see Jesus giving of himself in a way that we think is crazy because he could have done so much more. Yeah. But when we understand the character and the essence of who Jesus is, it's not in him to be that other way. That's right.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the things that Christy and I teach our kids is that sons and daughters never take, they always receive. And particularly as they're getting older and even when they were much younger, uh, it's just, I think, in human nature, if you see something, you want it, you go get it, you take it and we've been training them now for many years. It's not always completely its not always completely working, mm-hmm. but we're trying to get into their very being, this understanding that the nature of the kingdom is a nature where we trust God, mm-hmm. give us this day our daily right. bread, right? And and we trust him to give us everything that he knows that we need, mm-hmm. not the things that we want or the things that we think that we need. And even if those things might be good, Right. so we're teaching our kids, sons and daughters receive, it's it's a matter of submission it's a posture mm-hmm. Right? They don't we don't just grasp, we don't just take. I'm reminded in the uh, in Matthew chapter four where Jesus was in the wilderness, yep. and the enemy comes, much like he came to Adam and Eve in the garden, mm-hmm. and he says to him, Hey, listen, if you're hungry, turn these stones into bread, prove yourself, demonstrate. Yep. And again, it's the same thing, a little bit of a different nuance, yep. but it's the same thing. It's very similar. Right? Use your power in the way that you think yep. that power should be utilized right now to provide for yourself. Mm-hmm. Use your power to preserve yourself, to advance. Mm-hmm advance yourself and Jesus comes and reveals such a different way when he comes to bring the kingdom.
1: Yeah. It's almost like in the temptations, Satan is trying to coerce Jesus to use his power in his system. Yes. Jesus use your divine power, but use it in my system, in my system, and wow. that's honestly what we want of God. That's mm-hmm. what they wanted because when we're in, it's when we're trained early on as Christians, these, these theological statements of God is all powerful, God is all knowing, we almost can't help but at that term the, for what you used earlier to see God in our own image is anthropomorphism. Right, it's right. to project what we see onto God. And it's almost like when we use these words, but we don't clearly define them right from the beginning, hmm. we almost can't not. We think sure. God is just a more powerful version of Caesar. Of Caesar. Yeah. And God's power is not like Caesar's at all. Yeah. God's power is the power to come and to transform through love, through service. So through good. even he would be called a slave and we cannot fathom that, but Jesus his story gives us that picture all the way through.
0: So good. So bringing this all to a close, we've got three amazing passages Mm -hmm. here on Palm Sunday, Matthew chapter 21, Jesus, the Messiah, long awaited King comes and he comes in a different way. Gentle, humble writing on, uh, on, on a cult. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, we have Jesus uh, teaching his disciples about the nature of power and that Jesus has come to serve and not be served. And then this beautiful Christological hymn where mm-hmm. um, Paul is describing for us mm-hmm. uh, the character and the nature of God as revealed in Jesus as uh, the one who lowers himself, one who humbles himself uh, because that's who God is, that mm-hmm. God has and always will be right. a, a self lowering God. Um, okay, what do we do with this? Here we are, we're in Holy Week, right? Uh, We're in a week that historically is slower, much more reflective. We got time to meditate on these things. Uh, We're walking with Christ as he goes uh, to the cross this Friday. Uh, What can we be fixating our heart and our attention and our eyes on this week?
1: I think it's a great question. And you've already alluded to, to it. You said we have more time to reflect. And Mm -hmm. particularly now with the way that society is, many of us are not really leaving our homes at all. Our work has changed unless you're in certain fields. So I think number one, I would say seriously contemplate and reflect what we see of Jesus in these stories. Like, let's not just assume we know all the details. We might actually know all the details, but have they made their way into changing how we see God when we bow our head to pray, when we come mm. into this church on a normal Sunday it's good. and we're worshiping and we're seeing these phrases on the screen singing things like powerful and all-knowing. Are we envisioning a grander version of the world's way of seeing these things, or are we really envisioning them the way that they operate in the kingdom? And I think the only way we really get there is by reflecting and contemplating and allowing ourselves to be prayerful and slow with the scriptures before the story.
0: Yeah. You know, and I might add to that, Jonathan, I think it takes a level of humility Mm -hmm. for us to say, God, we may not see you as you really are, and we're willing to acknowledge that and we're willing even to confess and repent Mm -hmm. that the God that we have propped up might be an idolatrous God. It might be a false God. And, and in so doing, Lord, would you have mercy on us? Would you forgive us? And would you reveal to us who you really are mm-hmm. to posture ourselves in such a way? And in, and in weeks like this, it is a perfect time, right? To say, God, show us who you really are. Give us eyes to see. We don't want to be like the Pharisees or the Jewish leaders who missed you mm-hmm. because we assumed that you would be who we have created you to be. Yeah. Um, I would probably say in closing, um, Antioch, as, uh, as we're going into Holy Week, Uh, I want to encourage you to focus on, even as Jonathan has said, I want to encourage you to focus on the gentleness and the humility of God himself. I want you to focus on the God revealed in Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or to use to his own advantage. But he lowered himself taking the very nature of a servant. And um, I want you to think about this, that God is loving and good and he's kind mm-hmm. that the, the, the gentle Jesus who entered into Jerusalem is the gentle father who deals with you. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times what we do is we give uh, other people a pass and we don't let ourselves out of the penalty box. Meaning I think a lot of times we're a lot harder on ourselves mm-hmm. than we are on people around us. And some of that is a reflection of our view of who God is. Friends, God is a good father. And he is gentle and kind and it's the loving kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So this week, um, I am going to be praying for you and I'm going to be praying that God meets you in a very real and powerful and beautiful way and reveal to you that he is gentle and kind with you. Now, you might want to just push pause on your video screen or on your phone and go into your kitchen and grab some of the elements, whether it be some wafers crackers or a loaf of bread and some juice and uh, rally your family together or your friends. And we're going to come to the table together. But before we do that, let me pray this prayer of blessing for you. Friends, I am praying that the God who has revealed himself in Jesus and the Jesus who has come gentle and loving and lowly would be near to you this week. I am praying that the Holy Spirit right now, even now, would reveal how much the Father loves you, that he would, reveal the, he would reveal the kindness of God to you, and that you would know that you are a beloved son or daughter who is deeply loved by the Father, and that God is always using and working with his power to bring about his good end and his kingdom. And so we pray, let the kingdom of God and the will of God be fully, 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 Uh, fulfilled in your life this week. We love you, Antioch. God bless you guys.